0: mobile banking is becoming more the norm for consumers than the exception mobile payments on the other hand are still in their infancy as banking institutions cellular carriers and payments providers struggle to figure out how and where they fit in so what emerging trends and risks should banking institutions in particular be considering and addressing now to ensure that they get ahead of the game here jim van dyke ceo and founder of javelin strategy and research a Greenwich Associates company, explains why security is a critical piece to consider now, even before banking institutions launch a new banking platform. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. Jim, can you give us an overview of the mobile banking adoption rate among consumers in the U.S.?
1: Yeah, Tracy, our data show that by the end of this year, nearly half of all U.S. adults will use mobile banking, and that's 108 million people.
0: And then, Jim, what about mobile payments? How does its adoption compare among U.S. consumers?
1: Mobile adoption, uh, according to our multiple sets of data that we've been fielding since 2002 on this, it's interesting. I like to say to people we should stop asking when mobile payments will arrive. It actually showed up on our data, that is, as being statistically significant, about a year and a half ago. It exists now though it is very, very small. Depending on how you define mobile payments, it's either fairly mainstream, that is in methods of payments like transfers, and even bill pay for many people that are commuters on trains and things like that. Uh, in the area of proximity payments, it's extremely low. So out of the $60 billion in the U.S. last year that were represented in mobile payments, real usage, Just $3.1 of that was mobile proximity payments.
0: Jim, would you say that the U.S. is behind other global markets where financial services that are provided by a a mobile platform are concerned?
1: That's a great question, Tracy. We are definitely behind most first world markets here Mm -hmm. in the U.S., adoption and uh, availability of the technology on the part of, say, issuers or merchants, which is actually quite a juxtaposition of the fact that some of the great technology providers come out of the U.S., but their technology being in, ends up being adopted or deployed elsewhere. So if you look at things like EMV or how much regulation is leading in trying to find opportunities that are both great for economic growth as as well as banks and, and other providers' bottom lines, I think we're really behind in our strategic frameworks that represent specific capabilities. So there's lots of opportunity in the U.S.
0: So beyond some of these strategic frameworks, Jim, what would you say seem to be the primary hurdles that we face here in the U.S.?
1: Depending on what model will be primarily followed by consumers in mobile payments, since mobile banking is, is moving along just fine, other than a couple of areas, like we still have a number of banks identified in their scorecards that say, offer mobile services to maybe the underbanked or other consumer groups that will never access their accounts through online and yet they'll require those, those same customers to go online to apply for mobile access. So instantly they're, they're blocking customers from using it. But certainly EMV is a challenge, assuming that EMV becomes a primary transaction method. That's real difficult. We're actually getting ready to make an announcement next week on some data that we think will help on that a lot. I wish I could be more specific. But I think also a primary misunderstanding around how fraud will be impacted by mobile is really holding us back in the U.S., which is a shame because it's avoidable. if People just really understand the data and the trends.
0: Jim, you'll be giving a presentation about mobile security and fraud risks at ISMG's Fraud Summit San Francisco on April 29th. What are some of the highlights that you plan to hit during that presentation?
1: Yeah, Tracy, I'm really looking forward to that event next week because we are among the voices that provide a lot of um, very specific information about things like authentication and education and great security and and all that. So I'll, I'll mention a few of those areas. But the main message I will have based on research we've been doing for years, in other words specifics, is that we need to use mobile as an opportunity to improve security. That wasn't a misstatement on my part. Actually, We can see mobile as the remote control for the consumer's finances, not just through mobile transactions, but through all transaction channels. And when we do that, we'll engage customers in a more safe and productive way, which is great for profit, and it's also great in paving the way for mobile payments.
0: Jim, you make a good point. We've talked about mobile security issues for a long time. And, of course, I guess there's a flip side to that, that mobile can actually make transactions more secure. But why is mobile security still so perplexing to so many banking institutions?
1: I think the reason that mobile security is so perplexing to so many financial institutions, as well as many leading merchants, networks, government entities, and some of the fintech providers out there, is that they're working within their own silos. So they're like kids on the playground, but these kids are, are experts in fraud or marketing or uh, particular lines of business or, or security separate from fraud, and they're not working with their counterparts and other specialties. You see it happen all the time. And the great equalizer here can be a common set of data that looks at fraud vectors, look at security vectors, as two separate things, look at the marketing opportunity to improve acquisition and loyalty and share wallet. In other words, how will cost justify this? And look at the customer's current and desired behavior across channels. You can do all that as complicated as it sounds with real data. And I'll be talking next week about you know from our biggest fraud database in the nation that we do on an annual basis, relating that back to mobile. And, again, how we can turn this mobile security argument on its head and banks can stop exclusively playing defense and instead play offense and use mobile justifiably as a way to engage the customer, which is what the customer wants. The customers want to be involved in their own security, and we have data to show it, in a way that not only stops more mobile security threats, but it uses mobile to stop security threats and fraud threats in all channels.
0: Jim, VITS, the Technology Division of the Financial Services Roundtable, which of course is a banking association, as well as some regulatory bodies, have actually issued some best practices for banks and credit unions to consider when they're deploying mobile banking and payments platforms and services. But would you say that these groups have actually offered enough for banking institutions to develop adequate roadmaps for mobile adoption? Without
1: speaking about any one particular group, when I say the following, no, we do not yet have enough being done. The advice that I see in general being used, I mean, that is not thinking necessarily of any one source, is not fact-driven. Sometimes, for example, they're based on really great government studies, but the government studies on fraud will never be less than two years old. Two years old, might as well be a 1,000 years old in fraud. The rates, you can look at our data that on this and see the types of fraud that criminals are committing change on an annual basis and of course more frequently than that, you know, quarterly and monthly and daily. And so they need, our directions need to be fact driven, wherever those facts come from, number one. And number two, we need to again stop playing defense exclusively. But use mobile to be an offensive player with the customer. And sometimes some of the advice we sometimes see assumes that customers don't want to be involved in their security. They don't want to have banks ask them to do certain things. People talk about just increasing friction. Well, that's because of a poor implementation with insufficient usability or education. People want to know why they're being asked to do a, a particular thing and how that will actually make them tangibly safer. So with the right efforts, if we improve them, because, yes, I believe they need to be improved and they can be improved with the right fact-based, we can, again, engage the customer, and it can be the kind of profit-driving strategies that really unify all the critical leaders within one particular bank.
0: And then, Jim, finally, before we close, are there any additional thoughts about your research or your presentation that you'd like to leave our audience with? Um, you
1: know, lastly, I'll just uh, mention again that how much fraud changes on an annual basis and where that gets relevant for anybody that's listening now, whether banks, network, vendor, security provider, whatever, is if you're working from a belief about where you think the greatest versus the, the smaller fraud risks are that's out of date, of course your priorities can't be as effective as they could. So for example, last year we saw a sharp drop in the amount of new account fraud threats. That's what some call the purest form of identity theft. But correspondingly, we saw a dramatic increase in existing account fraud, which is within card accounts, existing card accounts opened by the bona bonafide cardholder and other accounts which are generally DDA or checking or savings accounts, banks or credit unions but they could be other types of accounts as well such as internet accounts. So the pattern of fraud is really changing from year to year. I'll weave that into next week's presentation in San Francisco. But that gets to be very relevant to any one organization because you can then benchmark what you see going on with your own customers from your own data and see, man, is everybody else experiencing an improvement in an area that we're losing ground in? Or are we actually above parity, which is something that a team should know and be proud of, and people should let their boss know as well so they can continue to get funding and extend funding for the kind of strategic initiatives that will drive overall bank profitability.
0: Jim, I'd like to thank you again for your time this afternoon.
1: Thanks, Tracy. Look forward to seeing you soon.
0: Again, we've just heard from Jim Van Dyke of Javelin Strategy and Research. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.